So please turn with me to Mark chapter 7. As we continue our study in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 7. I'm going to introduce our text from Jeremiah chapter 17. So if you want to go ahead and be searching for that one as well. Before we begin, let's go to the Lord again in prayer and ask for his help as we come to his word. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray that you would help us with it because we need help. We are weak. We are not wise in and of ourselves and One of our biggest problems is that we think we are. And so, Lord, help us as we come to your word, that we would see your wisdom, that we would see you alone as our strength, and that you would change our hearts, that we would follow closer to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So turn with me to Jeremiah 17. Keep your finger there in Mark 7. We'll be back. But in Jeremiah 17, verse 9 and 10, it's one of the first verses I ever memorized in Scripture. And Jeremiah is a big book and lots of context and lots of stuff going on. But I'm just going to look at these couple verses and we'll talk about it. Verses 9 and 10, Jeremiah 17. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord... Search the heart and test the mind and give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So here the Lord spells out the condition of the human heart in a really quick sentence. It's wicked and it's sick and it does, it's so sick and it's so wicked that it doesn't even make sense to us. We can't even make heads or tails of our own choices. A lot of times because our hearts are so backwards. And if you think, and if you've lived long enough, I think especially, and you look back at some of the choices you make, you, you, you see this. And you're like, what was I thinking? You know, we've all had that moment, right? And that's exactly what this is going for. And it's a rhetorical question because look who's asking it. The, the heart is deceitful. Who can understand it? The Lord asks. Well, he can. It's a rhetorical question because the Lord can do that. He tells us, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. I give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. The Lord is the one who searches the hearts of man. And in Jeremiah's day, the the hearts of the people of Judah in particular were hardened. We're going to talk more about Judah in our Sunday school class today, actually. So the Lord took them into exile by way of the Babylonian Empire. In our day, the hearts are still hard. Man hasn't really changed a whole lot, and for many of the same reasons as they were back then. We still see ourselves as our own standard. We see ourselves as our own righteousness. We want others to adhere to that standard because, well, we made it, so it must be right and it must be good. In our passage today... The Lord who spoke these words to Jeremiah way back then is now on earth and he's speaking words to a religious group of a religious group of religious leaders called the Pharisees. 
The Lord Jesus had many interactions with the Pharisees as you read through the Gospels. But I think the one in our text today really sums up their theological position and the Lord's response to their position and we see that we see in the Gospels. Of course, Jesus has a great response to it because, you know, he's the Lord of glory and he everything he says is good and wise. I think the Lord's response also speaks to what's going on in our world today. So we're going to deal with that. I've always told myself, and I've, this is something that I've held high, but I've always told myself that I wouldn't use and speak on current events a whole lot unless the text did. But the nature of our text really lends itself to many of the things that are going on in our world today. And so I want us to see ourselves in this picture first and foremost. So as we look at the text, I want to consider it in three points. The traditions of man, the word of God, and then the heart of man. And so as we look at the text, Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 1, reading through to verse 23. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written? This people honors me with their lips, but with their hearts, or their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doc, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your traditions that you have handed down. And many such things you do. And he called the people to him again, saying, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered, his, and when he entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these th- evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So, 
at this point in the book of Mark, we really have, or we don't really have, an immediate context for where we're at in the story. Up to this point, they've been traveling back and forth across the Sea of Galilee, and it all kind of stuck together. But at this point, we really don't know. We don't know how much time has passed since Jesus walked on the water, for instance, there at the end of Mark chapter 6. A lot of times, as you read through narrative passages like this, you'll see at the very beginning of Mark chapter 7, verse 1, where it says, Now... When the Pharisees, that word now oftentimes should redirect you as the reader to, oh, we're in a new act. You know, it's kind of like you're watching this big play, act one, the curtain comes down, the curtain goes up, it's act two. So this is kind of the next act. We don't know how long, and again, we don't need to necessarily think of this gospel as a sequential order of things. But we just know that this is an important event that happened in Jesus' ministry. So here we have this separation, and I think the big separation here is to introduce us to this group of characters called the Pharisees. This isn't the first time we've seen the scribes and Pharisees, but here in particular we're going to get a look inside to what makes them tick. The Pharisees had no doubt heard of Jesus and these heard of their recent miracles because remember what it said about the people. What were they doing around the countryside? They were literally running around the countryside carrying beds of sick people just so that people could somehow touch Jesus and be healed. The Pharisees found him out. Probably wasn't hard to figure out where Jesus was. They probably had a Jesus tracker of some kind, even though, you know, it must have been rudimentary. But just the rumor mill was talking. And they're like, we know where Jesus is. And they went and found him. Remember, remember about the Pharisees, just a quick review on them. They're a group of people who valued the law. They valued the traditions. They saw themselves as the supreme keeper of those things. They memorized the law. They memorized the traditions. They looked, they were looked upon as, with, with respect. The way to think about them is they kind of commanded this cultural authority. Remember back in these days, they didn't have a lot of books. The only books that they had were written out by hand. So there weren't very many of them, and they were very valuable. So the Pharisees served as these walking textbooks, almost, of the law and the traditions. And so they were held in high respect, and they kept those traditions better than anyone, or so they thought. And so this, with this kind of superiority is how they approach Jesus. They're coming to Jesus, who calls himself a Jew, who calls himself a lot of other things and does these miracles, and they're approaching him with this kind of moral superiority. You know, Jesus, if you were all these things that you said you are, have you considered the traditions of Moses? So think about it that way. Remember, we are not the heroes of this story. At best, we are recovering villains. And so we do not need to look at this story as Pharisees, bad guys, us, good guys. No, we should see ourselves as the Pharisees here. It will give us a picture of our hearts. And then it will also help us and point us closer and closer to Jesus. And that brings me to the first point, the traditions of men. Look with me at verses 1 through 5. I'm not going to reread all these verses, but... You get the idea. The Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. They went and they found him. And they saw that some of the disciples were, they ate with hands that were defiled. That is unwashed. And now what Mark does in verses 3 and 4 is he explains what this means. He goes through some, some depth actually for us in this kind of parathetical comment. And then the Pharisees asked, 
Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? So you can kind of imagine the scene, right? The Pharisees and the scribes, they walk up on Jesus and his disciples. They're having a meal together and they're examining the hands of the disciples. Kind of crazy. It might have even been comical to watch. These men in robes, these really high hats, walking around while the disciples were eating, investigating thoroughly the hands of those who were eating. It sounds goofy. We're no less goofy when we do the same thing, which we'll get to in a moment. Notice while they were doing it. It says they do not eat unless they wash their hands properly. That's what it says there in verse 3. Now, this word in the original language has really nothing to do with our word properly. And a lot of other translations, I've, I've looked at several, none of them really go right to the heart of what it's saying here. The original language speaks of washing their hands with a closed fist. And so the idea is that this traditional way that they're talking about is the Pharisees would hold their hands up and someone else would pour water over their hands and they would actually do where they held their hands up and then they would hold their hands down and have their hands pour, have water poured over. And then they would take one fist and literally scrub the hand of the other one and then do it with the other hand. And at that point, your hands had been washed properly. That's what that word properly is pointing to. It literally means clenched fist in the original language. Kind of funny. So if you skipped a step in any way, your hands were defiled. Not just, hey, go wash them again, but your hands are just filthy. So, more than likely, it wasn't even that as the Pharisees walked up, they just saw dirt all over the disciples' hands. That's probably not what's going on here. Most people in their right mind won't eat food with dirt on their hands. But it was obvious that the Pharisees saw something else. They hadn't washed their hands properly. I think it's the I think the obvious connection here to our current day. Well, there's lots of obvious connections, but I'm going to use one that is near and dear to all of us, or even near and dear to our faces currently, and that's the masks that we have to wear. There are both sides of this argument. You've all read it, you've all seen it, and maybe even heard it personally. I know I have. There are ones who wear them and they look down their noses and they think. I can't believe, as they look at the people who aren't wearing masks, they think, I can't believe that they want other people to die. And that's what they'll say. I'm not making this up. Maybe you've heard it. I have. Or then there's the other side, right? The ones that, that don't wear masks. And they'll look at the ones who are and they'll say, look at all of those weak sheep. I've heard those words come out of someone's mouth. And again, there's both sides of the argument, right? Then there's this whole other level, right? Then there's the ones who don't wear them properly, you know, that have it down over their lip or whatever and not fully covered. And then both sides are yelling at them, if you're not going to wear it properly, then you shouldn't wear it at all. And there's all this silly things that are going on. You've all heard it, right? You've seen it. It's just straight up ridiculousness. Here's the point. This is the point of that. Why, why do we do this? Why do I go to the store even with my mask on and look at the other ones and like, man, I really wish they would get on board with this. I, this is my heart. Or the time that I forgot to wear one and I'm, I'm looking around thinking, man, everyone's judging me right now. 
why, why do I do that? Why have you done that? Because we'll take anything, any little thing, a mask, anything that will make us look morally superior to the people around us. Because we love to see ourselves as this bastion of righteousness. We'll take something as mundane as putting on a mask for health reasons and turn it into an assault on our freedoms. Or a reason to call other people murderers. Only so that we can look like the most righteous and the most wise person that there is. And if people would just listen to us and adhere to our way of thinking, then the world would be a much better place. And if it's not masks, that's just what we're dealing with right now, then it's something else. We like to point fingers at other churches because that makes us look good. We like to point fingers at other families because obviously we're doing things right. We will we'll do anything to make ourselves feel better than someone else. And if we look around and we see someone that we that appears to be doing it right and even morally superior to what we think that we are, then what do we call them? We'll just call them a legalist because that's easy, right? Oh, they're just a legalist. And then oh, I feel better now. I can go about my day. They're not better than me. They're just legalists. Whew, better. Good. See your own heart in this, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's easy to poke fun at the hand-washing traditions of the Pharisees until you look closely at your own hearts. And that brings us to the Word of God. as what Christ brings to us here, verses 7 and 8. Verse, well, verse 6, as he was saying, Hey, why are your disciples, why are they eating with defiled hands, Jesus? They're trying to trap him, which if you read through the Gospels, you realize that trying to trap Jesus is just folly. He said to them, well, did Isaiah the prophet or did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written? This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts is far, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the traditions of men. That pretty much sums up Jesus' indictment on the Pharisees. Jesus brings the word of God to this, which is where it all should start. He compares the Pharisees to those people who were mentioned from Isaiah. This is a direct quote from Isaiah chapter 29. And the prophecy there is against the people of Judah. And while this was being prophesied, the walls of Judah were actually being besieged by the Assyrians. And Jesus is basically saying here that the Pharisees claim to worship God with their adherence to the law. But instead, their hearts are actually far from God. And he gives an example of this. He uses the fifth commandment here. And we're going to talk about this. He says that, the, and because the, the commandment says we should honor our fathers and mothers. Well, how are the Pharisees dealing with this? And then he goes into that in verses 9 through 13. Let's look at that. He said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, remember the Pharisees loved Moses and they memorized Moses. They should know exactly what Moses said. Moses said, honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is given to God. Then you no longer permit them to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your traditions that you have handed down. And many such things you do. So Jesus is saying, this is just an example. I could point to lots of things that you do, but this is one of them. So what is he saying here? 
This is basically the same idea of the mask. It's something that's good inherently, but we want to make it bad because we want it to, you know, we want us to be good. Hand washing, obviously a good thing, right? But the Pharisees have made it into something that's not good. So what was going on here? What's this idea of Corbin? It was considered an act of worship to set things aside as an offering to God. You know, when, when you do that, those things that you have set aside as an offering to God are considered what they called Corbin. We do this all the time if you think about it. Think about just in the church. We built this building. Did we build this building with, with the intent that it would be a community event center? No. We built this building with the intent that we would come together as the people of God to worship God. This building is dedicated then to the worship of God. Does that mean that we have automatically then precluded anyone else from ever coming in here under any other circumstances? No. We've used it for other things. We've allowed other people to use it for other things. It has been a good thing for other people to use this building. And we've, we've been glad to do that. Does that mean that we have done something wrong then because we dedicated this to the worship of God, but we've allowed it to be used for other things? No. That's a silly way to think about it, right? That's what Jesus is saying the Pharisees are doing. The Pharisees were in practice of when they would become a Pharisee, they would say, all of my possessions, everything I own, has been dedicated and offered to God, making those things what they called Corbin. And they were so strict in this that even when their parents required aid, as every aging person, your parents will eventually require you to help them like they, you know, helped you when they raised you. And they would say, uh, I can't help you with my possessions because I've already offered those to God. And so in their act of devotion, quote unquote devotion, they are breaking the fifth commandment to God. They're breaking one of the main commandments to God. What did Jesus say? He summed up all the commandments. Love God and then love others. They're breaking that second greatest commandment by not loving their parents, thinking that they're actually being devoted to God. This goes deep, and I think we understand this. There's a thing going on in our community right now that I think also alludes to this and points to this. Recently, there was a video produced by a group here in Murray called Better Together. You're probably familiar with it. Featured a, a few local pastors in that. And the whole idea from this video was that one of my, actually one of my fellow teachers at Murray High School witnessed an altercation at the library over wearing masks. Someone threw a fit, started yelling and being belligerent because the people at the library asked him to wear a mask. And there are kids there and other people watching and this whole craziness. And so what my colleague did was he decided to produce this video and he was basically calling people to be kind to one another. Right? This is a very difficult time we're all going through together. And he was just calling, hey, let's, we're better if we're with this together. Pretty simple, right? I think we would all agree that it's good to be kind to others. Here's the rub. He's not a believer at all. Now, as a believer, I'd say, yeah, yeah, we, we should be kind. It's, that's what's commanded. We should do that. We should treat others with dignity and respect. That is what's commanded of us. Yet, when the rubber meets the road, do my actions show that? Or is this something I'm just paying lip service to? And my heart is far from 
what God would have me do. My actions, my words, my thoughts, they will always show the heart that is underneath. And if this unbeliever can call people to be kind to one another, what am I doing as a believer then? What do our traditions as American Christians tell us as we stand up and we say, I have my rights. You can't tell me what to do. The government can't control me. Maybe those things are true. Yet what does God's word say? Love others as much as you love yourself. And we can't quantify the amount that we love ourselves. So that's how much we should then be loving others. As far as it depends on you, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, be at peace with the people that are just like you. No, with all people. We can all say these things, but if we don't mean them, we're just like the Pharisees. Yeah, yeah, be kind to each other. Yeah, but do we really mean it? Are we really doing it? Is this something that we want to do? Or are we simply acknowledging God with our lips and denying him with our lives? And that brings me next then to the heart of man. Look with me at verses 14 through 19. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me. And this is kind of coming off the heels of what he had just taught. It's all tied together. Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But all the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. So his disciples were like, what, what do you even mean by this, Jesus? And Jesus said to them, then are you also without understanding? Jesus is still wondering when his disciples are going to get it. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus, he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart, come evil thoughts. And then he goes into this long list of sinful thoughts and sinful things that we do. And then he says, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person now there's a whole lot here we could spend several weeks just in these few verses they believe that by not washing your hands or look at this immediate context what is jesus talking about by eating certain foods that they could defile themselves that they could make themselves spiritually unclean The disciples were unclean earlier for not washing their hands properly. If you ate something unclean, then you also became unclean was the traditions that they had. And it's true. The Old Testament ceremonial law, if you go back to Leviticus, you can read those things. God gave Israel certain food laws that they should follow, calling them to only eat certain things and not eat the other things. And this lasted for a time. And it was to separate them from the people that were surrounding them, from the Canaanites. God had a people for himself. They were to be a special and peculiar people, doing things that not everyone else did. Yet Jesus here shows us the intent of that whole business. And it had nothing to do with food. Food comes out. Our food goes in and it comes out. What he says has nothing to do with the heart of a person. 
So if you can't take something in, I want you to hear this, and this is important for us and our understanding of Scripture, really. If you can't take something in that will defile your heart, yet we read all over the place, as we did in Jeremiah 17 this morning, that the heart is indeed defiled, then how did it get that way? It's always been that way. You're born that way. This flies in the face of the idea that we become sinful at some stage up in in our lives and that up to a point in our lives we are innocent in God's eyes and then at some point we start earning His wrath. Now David said, when was he sinful? From birth, from conception in his mother's womb. Outside of Christ, our very natures are defiled. The only thing that can come from our hearts is bad. Even those things that seem good aren't for the right reasons. And he kind of sums it up in that laundry list there of all the things. And we know those things personally. We know them. For Christians, this is a hard truth. Because we have to examine the things then that come from us. Maybe there are folks here that think, yeah, I'm a Christian, I go to church. But if you examine your lives, do the things coming from you match the fact that God has changed you? And that's something that you can ask yourself. I can't do that for you. We know that in Christ, what do we have? In Christ, we have become a new creation. What did he tell Nicodemus? That all must be born again. Why do we have to be born again? Because, well, the the old one is bad. We are by our natures defiled. We need to be born again. And so in Christ, we have this new nature. The old is gone because Jesus took our old nature and he nailed it to the cross. We have been given a new nature. We have been born again. And so then what should we be doing? We should be bearing the fruit of that. The things that come from us should not be this list that that Jesus had. That these come out of the heart of man. Come evil thoughts. And he goes on. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. But what about for us who are in Christ? What should come from us? Good. Is it because we're good? No. It's because we have the righteousness of Christ. Jesus says that a good tree can't bear bad fruit. This doesn't mean that we won't always act right. I mean... I know I don't always act right. But that means that in general, the pattern of our lives is one that is in obedience to God that honors Him in word and deed and all that we do, say and think. For the Pharisees, it appeared to all that they were doing good. But in the end, their hearts were evil. They hated the Son of God. They would eventually have Him killed if you keep reading. What about for us? When it comes to Honoring God. How do we see that in our lives? Are you honoring Him with your lips, yet denying Him with your life? This is something that you can alone can answer for yourself. This is hard. We have to be careful here that we aren't counting up our good deeds to see them and pile them up and say, yeah, yeah, look, here. Because those good deeds don't save us. If we were to take our good deeds and put them on a scale, our bad deeds far outweigh them. And that's not even the point because... Just by being born, we deserve the wrath of God. That is not how it works. Jesus 
is our righteousness. We need the righteousness of Christ. Any righteousness that I derive from myself is bad. I need his righteousness. So in him, even my sins, and that's what's great about this, if you want to think of it as a scale, as my sins stack up, the righteousness of Christ outweigh the wonderful mercy, or outweigh because of his wonderful mercy and grace. We are covered by his righteousness. So what should we do? We have to live our lives, brothers and sisters, as if that's the case. And if you aren't living that way, it should cause you to question things in your own lives. How do you treat others? Do you love your enemies? Or do you use them to show your own righteousness, flaunting your properly washed hands? Only Jesus had clean hands. As we read in our text this morning from Psalm 24. He alone, that is him. When God says, who can ascend my holy hill? Only the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who is that among you? Secret, it's none of you. There was only one Jesus Christ alone was able to do that. And what did he do when he got there? He stood in our place so that we could have eternal life, brothers and sisters in Christ. Live as if that is true. So in conclusion, Jesus is our righteousness. Therefore, we are free to eat food without washing hands. More important, we are free to live lives in service to him. Obeying his commandments, bringing glory to him. And how are we doing that? How are we serving others? Let us love others as we love ourselves. Let us honor more and more the name of Jesus Christ in this world. Let us bring glory to him. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to you, we come to you with with hearts that are not always right. With hearts that on our best days are just recovering. We need you. We cannot even come up with enough righteousness to do anything on our own. We need what you have. We need what you have for our own lives. And we need what you have that we might bring glory to you that the world would know. And so Lord, we pray that you would help us. Help us more to rely on you, to trust you for our salvation. Not any righteousness that we can drum up, but trust you alone so that the world would see that Jesus Christ is Lord. We pray in his name. Amen.